Well, this is a really interesting story coming up. First, Jim in Winnipeg says Chat Checkout has existed for years in Canadian grocery stores. The date nights are held monthly in many large supermarkets. So you go, singles are able to meet uh, and many people met and married. I didn't know that. I'd never been to a date night at a grocery store, but I guess that's something similar. I mean, it, it's important when we were talking about this in the last half hour in the Netherlands, this one grocery chain has set up something called the Chat Checkout. It's a slow lane, essentially, as opposed to an express lane where people can stop and meet and chat or to help prevent social isolation for seniors. This is why it was created. It certainly allows them to take their time, not to feel rushed, to stop and chat and converse with somebody as they're doing their daily shop or their weekly shop, whatever it may be. Uh, we see it at banks too. I was noticing the other day, there was a chair at my bank that was not there in the past where, uh, and it's so rare that I go into the bank where people could sit and chat or at least take their time. It's interesting how institutions that are used more frequently uh, by older folks have also started to learn the value of providing them with the kind of attention and atmosphere that they want. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I hope it continues. Well, we all have memories, I think, of events that happened around us when we were young that sort of pierced the bubble for us, that pierced the bubble of childhood to some extent made us understand that where we lived was part of a much bigger world where bad things and good things, in this case, bad things, also happened. Ones that hit close to home. In my case, um, I had an aunt and uncle who lived in Etobicoke, which is an out on the outskirts of Toronto, right near where the airport is, um, on the western side of Toronto. And when I was in my teens, an eight-year-old named Nicole Moray disappeared from the same stretch of street where they lived. There was massive high-rises in that area. Thousands of people lived there. She lived in one of those buildings. And Nicole Moray vanished without a trace in July of 1985. Never seen again, as far as I know. Uh, the, the case remains unsolved to this day. She's never been found. And that, to me, you know, I was I'm living in Montreal at the time, but seeing the news, seeing the police investigations, the reports, and so on, knowing that area... I felt like it hit very close to home. It was the first time that something of that magnitude had happened somewhere that I had spent time in, even as a kid. And that is the case for the two people in this next story. The disappearance for them, it was the disappearance of a classmate, a grade four student at Parkfield Public School in the very same Toronto suburb of Etobicoke 10 years earlier, in 1975. No link that we know of, absolutely not. Still, same neighborhood. On the morning of January 29th, 1975, Simon Wilson vanished on his way to school. He was a grade four student, again, at Parkfield Public School. It sparked a massive search for the nine-year-old, a search that continues to this day. He vanished, it seems, without a trace, as far as we know. And now, nearly 48 years later, the memories of that time and that disappearance continue to linger for those who remember the boy. Um, and they include my next two guests, Craig Wallace and Laura Brown were classmates of Wilson's in that grade four class. And of late, they've been trying to find out what happened. They've been trying to pick up some of the loose threads to this story, going back in time to see what was reported then, trying to go through genealogy and so forth, to try to find some answers to this mystery that they remember to this day. And Craig and Laura join me now. Craig from Hamilton and Laura from Cornwall in Ontario. Thank you both for your time tonight. 
thank you for having us. Tell me a bit about your memories of that day nearly 50 years ago now, because you 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 explained it in the article about how your memories are really about your mom and about breakfast yeah. the next morning. So Thursday, January the 30th, 1975, um, I guess the day before I hadn't realized Simon wasn't at school, but, you know, kids are get sick and such. Anyway, on uh, my mom always listened to the radio while we had breakfast and uh they announced that uh, nine-year-old Simon Wilson, a student at Parkfield Public School where Laura and I went, he was reported missing. He, on, he had vanished on his way to school. And I think I nearly spit out my cereal. Probably and, both did that, yeah. 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 You, both remember, you both remember that day then. I'm sure your mom was the same as my Laura. I mean, my the look on my mother's face, it was just horror-stricken. Yeah, then, you just, what? And then I think my mother probably kind of turned it off as quickly as she could, so I couldn't hear anything. Yeah, I think back to those days. I mean, it was it was a different time, wasn't it? We weren't nearly as um, aware of these things, I don't think, or 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 at least the you know the kind of even the media around it wasn't nearly as as um, you know as huge as it would be later later in life or later in the years. Uh, uh, Laura, tell me a bit about your memories of of him because it's hard. I was trying to think back about kids. I went to grade to grade school with and it's hard to remember them but you remember them a bit about them it is but i think i think because he went missing it kind of intensified what we remembered because he just disappeared and we never heard of him again but i mean he was very quiet he was very shy he was a lovely little boy but all of a sudden he was gone we just i've all i've for since i'm sure craig's the same ever since then i've, I've wondered every day where he is what happened to him one of my better friends in Parkfield, um, his name was Sean. Sean and Simon were probably pretty darn close to best friends, and they went to each other's homes and such. And when we got to school that day, there was police cars in the parking lot, and our teachers looked very grim. And there was pretty well most of the kids, not all, but a lot of the kids in grade four, which we were all in, were called down to the principal's office. And I was questioned by myself, by the vice principal, but a lot of them were interviewed by detectives with the principal and VP there. And it was, you know, where, when was the last time you'd seen Simon? Have you heard from him? And my friend, Sean, said um, that in the middle of the night, they got a phone call from the police asking if Simon was at their house. And that got them going a couple hours before Laura and I would have heard the news over the radio. Yeah, it was all of a sudden... Like, as I put in the article, you know, you, as a little kid, when you're nine years old, you, you, the world's a pretty safe place. And all of a sudden, that just blew up in front of your eyes. Yeah, it's a pretty safe space. It's a pretty small place, too, right? And all of a sudden, you know, I, I was looking back at some of the reporting that you found from the Toronto Star about, you know, the the uh, the search, the search mm -hmm. for, for him. But they never found, they never found anything, did they? They He disappeared. They, they, yeah, they, they were focusing on the sewers and the tunnels by his apartment board where he lived because it they used to kids used to play in it i didn't because it was far enough from where craig and i lived that i wouldn't we wouldn't have gone down there unless we were visiting a friend down there yeah so exactly. they, which wasn't very often when they, they didn't they never found anything good bad or otherwise so he could have played in there they probably all did they didn't find anything by any stretch of the imagination yeah I remember searchers coming to your, the door, the mounted unit, going up and down the street and through all the local parks and ravines. I mean, 
certainly I, I'm not a police officer. I'm not an expert in this, but I could not doubt the, I could not question the effort the police made. They really tried. And yeah. I imagine yes. that, that for the rest of your days, both at primary school, but also as you went on, his absence must've been glaring because he sort of was part of your gang, your group, and then he was gone. Exactly. It's one thing if somebody moves away and you're used to that too. Kids move, their families move, but to just vanish. And as Laura said, nothing was found, not a trace, which is, you know, it, it's frightening because no nine-year-old child just decides to adopt a new identity and, you know, move. Something terrible happened. And the only way he would have had a new identity is if it was done for him. And he's not going to know at nine how to do that. So it certainly wasn't, oh, yeah, I'm just going to up and I'm going to go and live with Granny now. Yeah. yeah. You must have talked about it as, as classmates. I mean, you could not, right? Oh, exactly. And, you know, I got to tell you, things at recess and stuff, I do remember our teachers were, I mean, they were quite diligent. We were lucky to go to that school. There was a lot more children being driven to and from school, I recall, because back then we all walked. We're five minutes up the road, so. <laughs> so was he, he didn't, did he, I mean, he was vanished on his way to school, right? He was walking? That's yeah. what we, yeah, that's what we heard. His mother said he had left the house just after eight o'clock. Yeah. And just didn't make it. So somewhere between his house and Parkfield, he vanished. Yeah. And Gone. he walked, he pretty well walked the same route Laura and I walked to school. I could Most have been. Of it. Yeah. It would have been the same. So, Craig, tell me a bit about your about just your idea to kind of uh, try to look into what was out there about this and this idea of trying to maybe find out what happened or not what happened, but at least try to figure out what was learned. Well, a lot of the credit goes to Laura. We were just talking on Facebook and because with two other friends who would like to remain anonymous and we started talking about Simon. So Laura put together a little Facebook group where we could talk about it. And Laura is the uh, incredible genealogy wizard, so she can find anything. She's actually found some stuff in my family tree. And um, we use that skill. I went to the downtown Hamilton Library, went onto the microfilm and uh, pulled up new news stories from that time and then sent Laura the information with, we got parents' names, a sibling's name, you know, Laura started trying to track people down. I just thought, why not do an article? Just um, submitted it to the Toronto Star last week, who jumped all over it. And I think it was very much very local. It's a great mystery, a horrific mystery, if you were part of it, to be honest, as a child. But um, then that was really just it. What did you find when you started to sort of dig in through the genealogical route? What did you end up finding? Well, it took me a, a while because I, I couldn't find out what his parents, other than Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, I had no idea what they were called. So one, luckily what the newspaper articles said what they were called. So I've managed to find out a lot, a lot about his father's side. His mother, I have no clue because I have no idea what her maiden name was and I can't find it for the life of me. His, they were both Northern Irish. So his... His father was one of 10. Most of them are scattered in England or Ireland. Um, some are here. But I have managed to find a few people that have told me bits and pieces to try to piece together. Simon so had a half-sister, different father. But I don't know how much his father knew. But that, I believe, is what led to the fact that they were divorced. 
by the time by the time that Simon went missing, Simon's father was married to somebody else. Right. He was living with his just his mom at that point. Yes, and his sister. And half his sister. sister. You went to you went to the police as well, and and they said something that I thought was pretty surprising that they'd actually looked at this case recently. Yeah. That, so one of the first things I did when we started talking about it is I messaged the police. I went on, messaged where, everywhere I could find because I thought somebody will have to get back to me. They got back to me and they were like, well, yeah, we've just looked into this recently. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So what did you find then? Nothing. Okay. So I've recently, in the last three weeks, maybe been back and forth with the lady who is the detective on the case. Everything that I've found... I then emailed her with all the information that I'm finding because one of the policemen that I spoke to asked me if I knew anything about the family, which I thought was a bit strange because I would have thought they would have known about the family. They would, you know, they would have yeah. been talking to mom and dad. They would have been, you know, and they, it was implied in the papers that his parents were still together, that it was like happy families, but his parents were divorced and he was remarried by then. Craig, what has yeah. the reaction been from the family. I mean, you're, you're classmates, so clearly this stayed with you all these years. Uh, have you had any reaction at all from Simon's family? Yes. On um, just last Friday night, a day after the article, I got an email from a person who indicated they were, uh, I, I believe, a first cousin of Simon's. They said a cousin. They indicated that uh, they had known Simon and they missed their curly-haired, mischievous cousin. The person indicated that there's mixed feelings in the family. Some family members are, I believe, upset by the article because it was they felt it was ripping, you know, opening up old wounds, where this cousin indicated that they were happy the article was written because, as they said, now the world knows that there was a little boy in, you know, in that in 1975 named Simon Wilson. And they were happy. I, you know, I was brought back out to the forefront. And uh, I haven't heard. Of, I haven't heard any. I haven't received any other contact. Um, I've been checking things like letters to the editor, and uh, I haven't seen anything yet in that from in the Toronto Star as of yet. To Craig and Laura, what would you like ultimately? What would you like to happen here? I think we we want to know what happened to him, whatever that might be. I think, yeah, I mean, hopefully, Laura has said it well to our group. Somebody out there knows something. And maybe that article will prompt somebody to pick, even, you know, I'm speaking on my own here, pick up the phone and call the police and said, hey, you know what? I was in jail in the, you know, I don't know, in 1978, and my cellmate told me this. Mm -hmm. Something. Other people have said to me, they think somebody knows something as well, and they're just not saying. Yeah. Well, Craig Wallace and Laura Brown, thank you so much for uh, providing the story, the context, your story. And uh, I'll hope to check in again with you one day soon. Hopefully you find out what you're looking for. Well, thank you so much for uh, having us on, Ben.